0: Welcome to Reality Tourists, the podcast all about serious mental illness and psychosis. Each fortnight we will cover a different area of this massive topic. If you have any requests or are interested in being a guest in the future, please do get in touch. Hello everyone and welcome to what quite possibly might be the most embarrassing episode of Reality Tourists. Because um, <laughs> we're going to talk about hypersexuality.
1: Yeah, I was going to start this episode by uh, singing that song, let's talk about sex, because that's um, pretty much what we're going to be doing, Uh, yeah, because we're talking about hypersexuality and um, yeah, just before we started recording, um, Hazel was sort of saying, oh yeah, I've just spent the last 20 minutes reading about the history of nymphomania,
0: that's a good place to start. (laughs) It is, isn't it? Yeah. Interesting how it's (laughs) a female only diagnosis.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, well, I mean, it's so interesting, isn't it? Just from a, because I'm a bit of a history buff as well. So just the, um, yeah, the way that uh, mental illness before the way they sort of studied it and decided that a lot of it was to do with the womb and hysteria yeah. and and all this sort of stuff, yeah, going on in women's bodies, um, and also the different way that they they sort of separate men's mental illnesses from women's um because obviously men didn't have wombs, so they they wouldn't be prone to these terrible things that would obviously be to do with the womb
0: but yeah it's uh interesting isn't it yeah so I, I started by thinking well why is it that when a woman has lots of sex they're seen as a slut but when a man's has lots of sex it's perfectly fine and then I ended up down an in infomania rabbit hole
1: <laughs> yeah well that's a huge sort of societal thing isn't it and I think yeah. um I think I'm really glad that we are chatting about this. I think it's probably um, not surprising we're both a little bit nervous because, you know, we live in England and um, England in particular, I think in compared to like other European countries, we do have a very specific, um, yeah, it's a really specific attitude to sex, I think, because on the one hand, I think we kind of like to think that we're liberal, but on the other hand, there's still kind of a lot of idea that a lot of it's shameful, we shouldn't speak about it. And like you say, that women that like to have lots of sex are sluts, there's still that sort of idea. Um, whereas in other European countries, they have quite a different approach, you know, from right from talking to teenagers about it, you know, that the way that families sort of will discuss it, there's not really the same kind of, oh, well, you know, it's, it's horrible. We, we can't talk about this thing. And, you know, we have to wait until they're old enough to dis- discuss it. And, um, yeah, we have a, like the British, I think has, there's a very sort of British attitude to sex that can make it hard to, uh, to discuss stuff to do with sex. Yeah. And then, yeah, even more so, um, stuff to do with sex and mental health, mental illness. I think that's definitely an area that probably understandably, um, you know professionals don't like to talk about because you know if you go to see your GP they've only got five ten minutes these days anyway haven't they yeah. and um, <clears throat> you know when I go see my GP talk about um the meds that I'm on my mood stablers for bipolar disorder you know they just want to make sure that I'm taking them regularly and that I'm doing all right and that my mood's all right and that you know we might go through like my you know I might have a blood test I might have all these other things to regulate my physical stuff but there's just not the time for them to sort of talk about you know you know what i'm doing or might not what i might be doing or might not be doing in my personal life although i don't know if you've had this hazel um i have had the situation because i'm at a certain age now where um i've gone through this stage of having it felt like at one point doctors were ringing me up all the time going oh are you thinking about having a baby because if you are you really shouldn't be on those meds like i was having it so much and i i actually got quite annoyed about it one because I was single as fuck at that point. So I was just like, well, actually, no, like, there's no way that I could be having a baby unless it was like the immaculate conception. Um, But two, I'm, I'm kind of, I was at the age where I know that a lot of my friends were really keen to be having children, some of them were struggling to find the right man or to conceive, or, you know, various reasons why they couldn't be having children. So the fact that somebody was ringing me up, saying you know are you thinking about the the baby thing I just it really annoyed me to be honest Um, I mean it it wouldn't have annoyed me as much as some people because I've always known I don't want children so from that point of view it was just me having the same conversation with my GP and with you know psychiatrists and with these people ringing me up to saying oh yeah no thanks very much I know about the dangers of the meds I'm on I've got no interest in having children I never you know from the age of like being a teenager, I never wanted kids. When I was in my 20s, I never wanted kids. Now I'm um, 41 and I still don't want kids. Like I have no regrets about not having kids, thanks very much. But there was this whole period very much in my 30s where they were just constantly, it felt, ringing me up saying, oh, you know, you have to be thinking about your meds and do you want to maybe switch meds or come off them or because you're the kind of age where, you know, as a woman, you, you'd probably be having a family right now. Um, which in itself is quite strange, isn't it? Because, you know, lots of people start having a family when they're, you know, even in their teenage years or early 20s. Like, it's very odd that the medical profession has decided that late, thir- late um, 20s, early 30s is the-, the right time for women to be
0: having kids. Baby time. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm quite um, lucky, in inverted commas, because it's not really lucky, that I can't actually have kids. Um, I can't remember the name of the condition, but my womb's the wrong shape. So, in a way, I don't have to have those conversations. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, and this is what happens when I explain it. People go, oh, oh, hang on. Uh, what? Ooh. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. bother me. I didn't want kids anyway. I'm not, I'm not oh, okay. an adult to have kids. Bloody hell, I can't look after myself.
1: <laughs> well, that's how I feel about the whole kids thing. I mean, there's a huge, big load of reasons. But I mean, anyway, we've uh, I've, I've, I wonder if this is the British thing and the nervousness about sex, because you, you notice that I've already sort of skirted away from talking about sex and sort of taken it down to so the sort of, you know, oh, obviously the only reason anybody has sex is to have kids, of course.
0: I wonder <laughs> if that's part of the reason why it's seen as worse for women, because in inverted commas consequences of a baby, a man can't have a baby. Well, a biological man can't have a baby. I'll just recount that. So maybe that's why it's seen worse as women, because, you know, we get pregnant, whereas a man doesn't get pregnant, so therefore a man can go and have sex as much as they want, and they're, inverted commas, spreading their seed. Where I don't know. Maybe there's something in there. Maybe that's part of the reason that's... But yeah, you're right. We have gone mildly off topic already, because apparently society says we shouldn't talk about sex.
1: Yeah, so um let's just dive on in there. Yes. Let's do that. <laughs> um in terms of should we just start off by kind of trying to explain sort of our personal sort of um understandings of hypersexuality? Have have we found a dictionary definition? And I'm saying this as someone who actually doesn't have the dictionary definition up, because I'm assuming it's something like nymphomania basically or
0: not far off. It's not in the DSM. It is in the um, ICB, but under impulse conditions, there's nothing that's in there, like, specifically within, like, mania or anything like that. So I feel like the definitions don't count for me. Because to be diagnosed with it under the ICB, you've got to have the symptoms for six months. And, like, bloody hell, can you imagine a six-month manic episode? Mm. <laughs> Life would be yeah, in ruins. I to,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's... um. Yeah, that's the thing. So people... You know that they vaguely kind of understand what the word nymphomania means and what the word hypersexuality means and they they kind of get the idea that it's to do with basically being really horny isn't it like wanting lots of sex um not being very bothered about the consequences um kind of having a feeling of um maybe that you're sort of attractive to everyone possibly i mean from my own experiences of this and that's the thing like because there's not a huge amount sort of written about it or talked about it I guess all we can do is like our own experiences of it yeah and so for me um I've had um basically bits patches of mania and so um during my during my manic episodes all sorts of things will be happening in my brain you know I'll um sometimes have delusions I'll sometimes have um There's a lot of it which is around things. I guess I'm very suggestible at that point. So like there might be um, somebody might be saying something on the radio and I will feel like they're talking directly to me or I'll hear a word in an advert and then, I don't know, it could be something about Spain and then I'll take it in my head to go to Spain because of that. So it's like directly doing stuff like that. So there's all sorts of stuff that has happened to me during mania. Um, And I guess in terms of the sex stuff, and um, what I, my understanding or my experiences of hypersexuality um, is to do with losing a lot of inhibitions. Um, and I wouldn't say in a good way because, <laughs> because the thing is like when people usually talk about, you know, having fun, going out, getting drunk maybe, or, you know, just going out with friends and losing inhibitions, letting your hair down, um, that's something that you've chosen to do. You know, you've had a hard working week. You know you want to you want to let your hair down, you want to have fun and you're choosing to lose your inhibitions. I think what I find particularly hard about mania is the fact that you're not choosing to do any of it. So obviously I haven't chosen the delusions that pop into my head. I, I haven't chosen to, you know, forget that I'm working and that you know I might even forget my own name. So I haven't chosen to lose those inhibitions. So in a period of mania, um some of the things I've done, God I mean, I don't. I think it could be a lot worse, to be honest. But um, for, <laughs> I was thinking about this earlier, and I was thinking, like, what what things am I prepared to sort of say? So it's technically out there forever. So that in theory, like, I mean, it's it's fine. But um, and I, I do talk fairly openly about sort of most things anyway, and write about most things. But I think, like, the one that came to me was um, before I was on long term mood stabilizers in my early twenties. It was during a manic episode. Um, and I was living in a house share with two other girls and um, I'd gone into this manic episode thankfully at the end of the manic episode well thankfully sort of during it one of my housemates ended up getting in touch with my parents and they sort of picked me up and looked after me and um, yeah eventually kind of helped me get better but one of the things that happened during that was, um, I remember still, it's so embarrassing. Um, I remember uh, masturbating with the curtains open. I was It was like this. We were in a shared house, so I didn't have my door open, but I was in the room doing that. And I know that one of my housemates saw me. So I guess that's just a really obvious example of losing inhibitions, um, sex drive going up. And that is some, something that does sometimes happen, I think, during hypermania and mania. And there we go. I can't believe I just admitted to that, but there you are.
0: Do you want me to admit some embarrassing stuff to, le- to equal it out?
1: Well, only if you're comfortable. That's the thing. Like, There's other stuff that I'm just not going to talk about. <laughs> but,
0: yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a notorious oversharer. It's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't have it every time. So there's been a couple of manic episodes where I've experienced hypersexuality. And it is, it's like my sex drive goes... I mean, normally I'm not all that bothered about sex. I mean, I'm not asexual, but I'm just sort of meh. But then it's like a sex drive goes through the roof, and it's almost like it's all I can think about, and I will start basically flirting with everyone relatively aggressively, and I will genuinely believe that I am the most alluring person in the world, and everyone wants to sleep with me. And basically this has resulted in long strings of one-night stands, which I'm not really proud of. Did get called a slut. But yeah, it's, it's it's a weird sensation really because I did, I did regret it and I did feel guilty. Even during it, I felt guilty. And according to the ICB, that's part of hypersexuality actually is, is girl sort of like going through the impulses of sexual activities despite the damage they could do to you and feeling bad about it. I think that's an important thing is I did feel bad. Oh. It wasn't all for your fun and games. It wasn't like, you know, party girl. I did feel bad. So I think that's um, an important factor that people forget about.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, there's there's two things in what you've said there. So there's, first of all, there's almost the feeling of invincibility, which I massively relate to in terms of my experience of mania and hypermania. So that feeling that, you know, you've, it's almost like you've sort of got a superpower. You can, yeah, you're invincible or you you feel like you're kind of in, you know, some sort of secret that other people don't or you have special powers. I mean, if it's gone... In, for me when it's gone sort of really extreme mania that's believing things like I could breathe underwater or I could literally do magical spells so it is taking on powers like that but you're right I've had that feeling as well of um maybe in hypermania of feeling like yeah no man would say no to me and I could go up to anyone that I liked and get off with them yeah and I think it's interesting isn't it like our experience um of this because as women I imagine it's quite different to men's experiences of it because if you just the way that things are in society in that like when I was younger, when I was a 20 something woman, um, going to clubs, I don't know. I don't know how to say this without sounding just really full of myself, but (laughs) it's not really what I mean. I I think what I'm trying to say is it's So I feel like generally if any 20 something woman went up to a guy and just said, and just grabbed them, um, a lot of men would be quite pleased about that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they wouldn't these days. I, but I feel like um, that's, whereas if it was the other way around, um, I, f- I think that would be a lot, that would be a whole different kettle of fish and that would be quite scary for people if it was a man going around um, grabbing people. But having said that, um, I have been in a situation where I've sort of gone around and felt very sexually confident, but I've still asked people, for consent. I mean, I remember one time um, at university and this wasn't during um, a manic episode, but I was very sexually confident and I suppose I would say I'm not quite hypermanic, but just very sexually confident. And one of my uni friends challenged me to get off with tw- uh, 21 guys in one night because it was my 21st birthday. And I did oh, it. University. And I did that by, but I did that by going around, literally going around men in a club saying, do you want to get off with me? And only one said no. And I think just as a as women, you have that sort of, I don't know if power is the right word. It's just a different position, I think, in society um, to straight men, because I, I think a straight man doing the same thing would probably have very different uh, results and would probably be seen um, to, to be a bit of a threat, to be honest. Whereas I think women generally aren't seen as a threat, but maybe I'm wrong. What do you think?
0: Well, as someone who's pansexual, I have aggressively flirted during hypermania with both men and women, um, and a few non-binary people, actually. And yeah, the um, as a general rule, the men are more, uh, more um, what's the word I'm looking for? More likely to say yes and carry on the flirting to a further path, further point than the women are. Mm. I think that's a bit of social conditioning, to be fair, because as women were pretty much brought up to be wary of... Everything, like genuinely everything. Whereas having a female body, I found that. mean, to, to be perfectly fair, it, it's quite easy to go and have a one-night stand as as as, as someone who's female or female-presenting. I could just literally pretend to be drunk, and someone would. Ha- something would happen. It's just that sounds really bad when I say it like that, doesn't it? I'm I'm not judging all men, by the way. No. You know, there's a certain there's a certain percentage of men that are willing to do things if they think someone's drunk.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, there's a bit in one of Catla Moran's books about this. And um, I think that because there's a section, I forget which book it is, but she does talk about having this um, incredible realisation when she was a teenager that, um, you know, that men, that lots of men actually would pay her for sex, but all she wants to, you know, but she just wants to have it, have it for free, basically. Um, and I think most women do, do go kind of through that realisation of being like, oh, actually, yeah, you, you Maybe there is a bit of a power imbalance there. Um, but maybe things have changed, and this is the thing, like because I'm just thinking, of, I'm drawing all my experiences in my, my 20s, and I don't know if things have, have changed.
0: Um, no, I'm not sure. I mean, I've not had a hypersexual episode, for want of a better term, for a good few years. Um, and to be honest, I don't know, I'm in a relationship now, so I'm not sure what would happen, because last time I had one during the relationship, I cheated a lot. Mm. But I don't think it would happen now because not only are I in a relationship, I'm really rural. So I can't just, you know, go out to a bar. It'd be a logistical <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> so maybe a fact of living in the middle of nowhere.
1: <laughs> so can yeah, confined by your um, yeah, by geography.
0: Yeah. Now
1: I do I do get what you're saying though about um the relationship aspect of things. And I think that's whole thing that we could talk about really in the fact that um, people don't realize the way that mental illness can actually just really fuck up your life sometimes can't it I mean people think about it in the obvious ways you know um, Oh, it can it can you know nobody really wants to nobody wants to go to a mental hospital nobody wants to be sectioned all this sort of stuff so there's that side of things but um, it can really just interfere with your life so it can disrupt your career um it can um, estrange you from certain friends because you might sort of say or do certain things when you're um experiencing delusions or um life mania or mania any of these things or, or basically just when you've lost touch with reality you can end up doing all kinds of things which very much confuse people um and that later you you know you might really regret but the thing is the fact is it's not it, it's not within your power at that time because you're ill. But I think in the terms of talking about sex and hypersexuality, yes, it can actually really fuck up your relationships um, in a way that people maybe not first think about when they're thinking about mental health and mental illness because um, there's so many different ways. (laughs) Yeah, Without, without sort of being a massive downer on it, there are sort of so many ways that getting mentally ill can fuck up your life and, yeah, in particular your relationships because if I'm thinking about, uh, my bipolar disorder, you know, I'm really difficult to be around when I'm depressed. You know, it's because yeah, who wants to spend time with somebody who literally can't or won't get out of bed, um, let alone have a shower or go to work or um, do any sort of cleaning or, you know, who basically just wants to stay in bed and in eat all the time. And then the other side of things, yeah, mania and hypermania. Um, in a way, it could even more fuck things up because like you say, if I'm in mania, and um, I experience hypersexuality, that can mean, yeah, I just decide on a whim to go out to so go to some bar, just get off with a load of guys. And then, you know, if I had a partner at that point, that would be devastating for them. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I suppose that's all to do with the, the idea of diminished responsibility, isn't it? Like we, I was listening to a crime podcast the other day, and they, they brought up the, the term diminished responsibility, obviously, in terms of Uh, criminal stuff but I was thinking about this in terms of you know the sex stuff because if you're in mania then you haven't actually chosen to do some of those things um but it's it's a difficult thing to explain to people who don't live with a mental illness and maybe actually other people with mental illnesses might be like yeah but maybe part of you did want to do those things and maybe actually your relationship wasn't going very well or you know you just bored or it's it's really hard, isn't it, sometimes to separate like yourself from your mental illness? Well, I find it hard.
0: Um, when you mentioned hospital, then it reminded me of something I'd done. This is really embarrassing, but I don't care. I'm going to share it anyway. I was once hospitalised, and during the time in hospital, I had a, hyper-manic, I, 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 um, a hypersexuality period, and I got completely convinced that one of the nurses liked me. Like, fully, I was convinced. That I was almost convinced I was in a relationship with him. That's how convinced I was. And he did some ridiculous things. I walked around the hospital naked at one point trying to find him. (laughs) And every time he came to the room, I'd take my clothes off. And it was just, it was so, I didn't want, you know, know, there's no way in, in a normal, like, sane brain I would have wanted to do that. Who the hell wants to walk around a hospital naked? So, yeah, this idea that it's something you've, it's like when people get drunk and people say, oh, yeah, but the things that you do when you're drunk is stuff you really want to do. And the drink just brings it out. I don't think it's true like I really don't think it's true mm. well I mean
1: I don't have experience of taking drugs but I would imagine it's similar with with that like for people who have taken drugs maybe some of the things they do when they're um, having a trip or yeah they've they're really high or whatever it is people do <laughs> and know so little about drugs but you know when they're having those experiences they haven't chosen to do them no. so yeah it's um but it can be quite embarrassing afterwards to say the least like what you were saying about I mean it's it's great that you shared that but um the fact is you know you were ill and you were in hospital and you didn't you didn't choose to be in hospital and you certainly didn't choose choose to do that but it's um
0: amusingly at the time I couldn't even understand why I was in hospital so you know yeah mental illness is weird
1: well it is and you know the good thing is you know further down the line we we do get to chat about this as we are now and sometimes we get to share these things and we get to laugh about them or other times we just get to cringe about them and yeah I mean when I think about some of the stuff I did when I was a teenager because you know for me um, my bipolar disorder really manifested in a huge way as a teenager that's when it sort of weird its ugly head I suppose I think there were signs of it when I was younger but it really sort of came to the fore when I was 17 18 yeah some of the ways that I was behaving as a as a teenage girl I kind of think "Mm, how much was that me just being a a young woman and you know discovering boys and discovering life and all this sort of stuff how much of that was my bipolar disorder uh yeah because I did make some quite bad decisions but then so do lots of teenage girls don't they so
0: I mean it's um yeah it's really tricky isn't it looking back what was what what was the illness what was just you what was just society
1: yeah but also going back to what you said right at the beginning about the, the different ways that we judge men and women in terms of their sex lives because if I'm thinking about some of the wildest stuff I did when I was younger um, which was being fairly promiscuous just being like well you know I'm single I can do what I like I remember this one night basically getting off with three guys Getting off with them and more, basically. And the thing is, if I was a, a a guy and I was talking about that, there'd definitely be more of a sense of like, "Wow, that's amazing." Yeah. You know, you got off with, you know, you were in this house with three girls and you had this experience. But as a woman, it's a bit like, "Oh, you know, like what the what the fuck were you thinking?" Like, and also, it's you know, you could have put yourself in danger, and you know, you could have there could have been health consequences and and all this sort of stuff. It's um, we do tend to judge men and women differently don't we on their choices around sex but um I don't know but then on the other hand you know if it's all consensual then maybe it's not harming anyone I suppose like we're because we're talking about the mental health side of things though it's um it's interesting to think about
0: yeah I mean I've I've never done any if, if someone said even when I was at my like worst if someone said no I did stop and I just move on to the next person, which doesn't sound great, but <laughs> I would never have done anything against someone's will. But then if you think about it, when we were ill, could we technically fully consent? Or is that a bit of a grey area? That's a really
1: interesting point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I suppose maybe people listening who have a partner with them, um, with a long-term mental illness, that might give them something to think about, you know, like... um Because I wonder some of my exes, you know, how they'd feel about this conversation I'm having. Because I know that they've experienced times with me when I've sort of kind of gone into overdrive in terms of sexuality and wanting to have a load of sex. And I feel like, yeah, I wouldn't want any of them to feel bad about that because at the time that was consensual. And I was happy with what we were doing, but I can, but even though I'm saying that I can see how they might be listening and be like, Hmm. Yeah. But actually, if you weren't on mood stabilizers at that, at that point, how, how consensual was it? Because, you know, you were still not as okay as you could have been, but um, yeah, there are gray areas, aren't there? And I, I suppose that is one of the challenges of yeah, being in a, relationship with somebody with the long-term mental illness um or just being in a relationship full stop with anyone oh, nice, yeah. like, I think <laughs> consent is such an important thing you know to to get clear on um I think people are a lot better about knowing although well I say that there was that whole thing with the, the Spanish football team wasn't there but anyway um
0: yeah yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's always going to be things happening in the world aren't there that complicate any sentence we say <laughs>
1: Yeah, oh, but um, I think that's pretty much all I've got to, to say about this so far. Have you got any sort of last words on the topic?
0: I'm now concerned about the partners of anyone with mental illness getting a bit panicked. I think that the advice I'd give there is have a conversation while you're both well mm. and put boundaries in place ready for when an illness strikes. I think that's probably the only the best way of getting around that. I don't
1: know. Yeah it's like it's a really difficult one because I I think if I even if I had to partner and we had had that sort of sensible conversation and I was just like so I suppose it would be maybe more of just agreeing what you're going to do if if that sort of situation pops up again you know maybe it would just be somebody saying you know like you know are you sure you want to do this or you know maybe we should just go out for a walk or something instead and but the thing is I know what I'm like I'd get very persuasive I'd be like no, absolutely, we're going to do these. so. So it's it's quite a difficult one to be honest. To, to
0: even be I'm thinking. I'm just about. thinking: should I make a crisis plan specifically around sex? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that'd be a fun conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: um. But also, I mean, I think maybe another thing we should mention just before we wrap up is, you know, just protect yourself and look after yourself and if you haven't been in situations where for whatever reason you've kind of taken risks if that whether that's to do with hypersexuality or, or any sort of other thing to do with your mental health you know afterwards just kind of yeah look after yourself and if you need to go and get tested for stuff and do that just get on with it yeah. um yeah. don't feel ashamed about that because apparently that's rife anyway these days not just in sort of our age group apparently that's, that's rife in older people these days a friend of mine told me he works in this area so um yeah so look after your health and um yeah don't blame yourself because yeah. it's it's an odd part of um mental illness sometimes isn't it really it's um yeah it's a, it's a weird thing to be talking about I'm glad we are talking about it I feel like maybe maybe we could get an expert I wonder if there is an expert on this so we could get them on to talk about it another time as well
0: I tried to find some studies and the only study I could find said that 60% of manic episodes have a sexual component to them. And I was sort of reading that and I was thinking to myself, Mm. why did no one ever tell me this when I got diagnosed? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm, That doesn't surprise me at all, just from my experiences. Yeah, but you're right. And it's also strange, isn't it? That It's that common, but it's mentioned so little by... Well, I guess the medical profession would just, maybe they don't feel it's their place, but it maybe. doesn't really seem to get talked about or, um, yeah, discussed or understood.
0: I so. think part of it's say no-one wants to judge what is, inverted commas, normal sexuality. Because everyone yeah, that's true. Is different. So I think that, yeah, 100%. really, it has to be a drastic change in your normal and also interfering with your life to count, essentially.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Mm. I mean, you know, sex is great when you're well and you're yeah, yeah. happy and it's all, <laughs> all, <conceptual. That's laughs> all <laughs> consensual. All consensual. I must
0: All consensual. for consent. We can yeah. consensualise sex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, if anyone is listening who happens to know of an expert or is an expert in this area, do get in touch because it would be really interesting to have a conversation with I can't use all of using the word expert but an expert sexpert a sexpert oh a sexpert if you're a sexpert get in touch
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah who knows about hypersexuality and the history of nymphomania and yeah, yeah that would be really interesting
0: it really would thank you for listening to this episode of reality tourist podcast if you have a topic that you'd like to suggest or request or if you'd like to be a guest <laughs> it rhymes please do get in touch.